Perhaps you've been enjoying the, well, I hope at least silence that perhaps over your dinner hour, that the phone hasn't been ringing with political calls anymore, that perhaps your email inbox is a little less full because you haven't been getting all the emails that have been sent out. Perhaps now things have died down at least a little bit in just the, the different ways that, well, after a while get under your skin a little bit. But politicians were doing what politicians do, right? In order to be elected, they say they have to get their message out. And so they, they, they craft their speeches, they craft their commercials, even their annoying phone calls and emails, all designed to help voters understand where they are coming from. Right? They, they talk about the things that they see as important, Issues that they see that they say, I'm going to address this. Also that you, as an informed citizenry, would be able to say, I know what this person stands for. I know what their message is. My guess is even just by listening to what they say, the things they promote, the things they talk about, you'd, without even looking, probably be able to tell where they stand on issues, what party they're from, right? what they're going to do if they, they get elected to their, to their local or county or state or, or federal government. Because that's what politicians have to do in order to get elected. They have to let people know, this is what I believe and why. They, they get the message out. My brother and I were driving back from uh, Washington State with my sister this this past fall, and we saw a sign that looked like this. It turns out an Alabama church did this. And at first, I'm sure it was a little bit of a statement just as far as, well, some of the Psalms say about putting your trust in princes and kings, right? That finally we, we put our trust in our Savior, Perhaps it was because of how contentious things have been over the past couple years. Whatever. Their point was to try and point people back to Jesus. In a rather creative way, at least. But I think it begins to help us see Jesus and his mission during this Epiphany season. As the Savior, Jesus didn't come just to heal people, to do miracles. He didn't just come to call certain people to come and follow him. Jesus, as the Son of God, had a very specific job he came to do. He had a very specific message he came to proclaim. It's something God had talked to his people about for ages, as they were waiting for that Savior to come. Right? He had told them all the, and given them all these different clues about what the Savior was going to do, things the Savior was going to say, so that when that Savior finally came, they'd be able to look back at those promises of God and compare them to what this person was saying and be able to say, wow, based on this guy's message, based on what I see this guy doing, I can confidently say, this is the Savior. Here is the Messiah God had promised. And in our reading today, our gospel lesson, 
We see Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry here on earth. He had been baptized by John like we heard two weeks ago. After that, he went out into the desert for 40 days and was tempted by by the devil. We're going to hear about that in just uh, four weeks when we get to the first week in Lent. And then he had begun, he went back to the, to the, the, uh, the, he went back to the area of Galilee, which is up in the northern part of Israel, and began calling his disciples, people that were going to follow him, people that he was going to train for a very specific job and mission, which we're going to see today. And we hear that John the Baptist, by this time, had been thrown in jail. In fact, that's what we read in the very first verse of our text. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The message the Savior would bring was the good news. Right? The the gospel of God. He was going to point them and take them back into the Old Testament scriptures and say, all those things God had talked about in the Old Testament are now coming to fulfillment. The one that God had promised to Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the way through the, the, the Savior who is going to save you from your sins, he's here. In fact, when the people would hear the kingdom of God is near, perhaps they they thought of Jeremiah's words. Right? Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus was would ever show up on earth. But Jeremiah said, the days are coming, right? Be ready. And now Jesus comes and says, the time is near. The kingdom of, the time has come. The the kingdom of God is near. In other words, the message Jesus was proclaiming fit the message of the Savior. Jeremiah said, that guy is coming. And now Jesus said, the time is here. The kingdom of God has come. And people would be listening to what Jesus said and watching what he did to see if he fulfilled those promises of what the king of the son of God, the king that God had promised, would do. And as they watched, and as they listened, they saw what the other disciples did. In fact, they saw what many people did as they listened to Jesus and watched what they did. Here was the one God had sent. Jesus' message that he proclaimed showed that he was the Savior God had sent. So when we look at the theme for today's service, right? Do you have the right message? Does he have the right message? We go, yeah. By the words he proclaimed, by the the things that he did, By the message he shared, he showed that he was the Savior. The one that God had promised. What's interesting, though, is that the Savior came for that very specific reason of saving us for our sins. 
And Jesus recognized by the time he began his ministry that his time on earth was very quickly coming to an end. His public ministry only lasted three years. In other words, Jesus knew at his baptism he had a very short amount of time before he would be suffering, dying, rising again, and then ascending into heaven. Jesus knew he had a very short time to train people up so that they would be prepared and ready to take over that work of proclaiming his message. And so very early in his ministry, we see him doing just that, right? And we see it in today's lesson. Jesus calling men to to follow him, to be his disciples, to be his followers. People that he was going to train in order to proclaim that message to the rest of the world. And we see him talk to four men today. We heard him talk to two others last Sunday, Philip and Nathaniel last week. Peter, Andrew, James, and John today, people who had been familiar with Jesus and what he had been teaching. In fact, they were, had been followers of John the Baptist and heard John the Baptist when he pointed at Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's up around the Sea of Galilee. Andrew, Peter, James, John were all fishermen following in their father's footsteps. So as they're around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus comes and he says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I will make you fishers of men. Now, understand what Jesus was calling them to do. Right? It wasn't as though Peter, Andrew, James, John were suddenly going to drop everything they did and suddenly become great fishers of people proclaimers of the gospel but in essence jesus was saying from now on your life is going to change your life is going to change because being a follower of jesus means your life is going to change you can already begin to see some of that just in not only peter james john and peter andrew james and john's response to jesus but everything they went through over the next three years and everything they would go through for the rest of their lives. And it points out four things for you and I as followers of Jesus. Because like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and Philip and Nathaniel, God has called us to faith. Right? He, he, he proclaimed, we have heard the message that Jesus proclaimed. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? We've heard God's law echo in our ears and convict us in our hearts of our sin. We've perhaps felt the load of guilt that we carried around from past sins, only to see all of that taken away and lifted off of us by our Savior. A Savior who calls us, as his followers, to follow him. That's what a Christian is. It's what a, a disciple is. We're followers of Christ. And being a follower of Christ means that our entire life is going to change. In other words, it's not as though we live life one way until we become a believer and then life sort of continues the same, but it just adds another compartment to my life where I get to file different things or act certain ways at, at certain times. But rather, being a follower of God now kind of 
envelops our entire life and changes all of it. And so we see that the gospel has an effect on those who hear it and believe it. Right? Those who hear the word of God and believe it are, are followers of Christ. The, the Holy Spirit has created a, a faith in their heart. And now they follow their Savior. They see what he's done. And it means they subordinate everything to the Lord. Now, I'm not sure how often you use the word subordinate in your life. But in essence, you have sub. So that's a prefix like under, right? Ordinate best way I could describe it, you have an order of things, right? So suddenly, everything that you are responsible for, you begin to put in a much different priority. Because now, your Savior becomes the most important person in your life. Here is the one who came and lived and died for you. The Savior who came and, 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 and offered his life as a sacrifice so that all of your sin could not only be forgiven, but so that he could look each of you in the eye and say, you are my child, and because you are my child, you have, will have eternal life with me. No one has done anything like that for you. A God who loves you in spite of who you are. And so now he says, as you become my follower, things are going to change in your life. The one who has done all of this for you becomes first and foremost, before wealth, before work, before family, before sports. Here is the one who lived and died for me. He is most important, which means I subordinate everything in my life to him. But there's more. Those who hear the word and believe it simulate the Savior in all his ways. You know, if you try to do things where you have like four S's in a row, after a while it gets a little hard and you're using words like, I don't use the word simulate very often, but it works. See, it fits. Simulate, your savior, simulate the Savior in all his ways means you follow him. You look at how your Savior lived and, and you strive to model that same behavior in your life. So what might that look like? Peter describes Jesus, but just as he who called you is holy, just as Jesus is holy, the one who called us, so be holy in all you do. Right? It means as a child of God, we are striving to live as God calls us to live as his children. That we are constantly striving for perfection. And all the different times in a, in a single day in our life, we see that we fail in that. We turn to our God and we listen to our Savior, and he says, repent. And he says, I forgive you. Or you might think of these words from Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And there the Apostle Paul goes on in this beautiful hymn of praise to God who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather was humble. Stepped off of his throne in heaven in order to take on human flesh just so that he could save you. In other words, as a child of God, as I seek to simulate my Savior, it means I'm humble like he is. I put others' needs before my own. 
I recognize and, and see the sin that's in my life and in my heart, and I suddenly don't think of myself as being this great follower of Christ, but instead I'm, I'm following my Savior, begging for his mercy. Again, to see his love and his compassion for me as he continues to, to forgive me and pick me up and dust me off and say, I love you because you're my child and I lived and died for you. And your sin is forgiven. It, it means we, we hear these words from Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It means as I look at the relationships I have around me, I mimic my Savior in how he treated me. Kindly, compassionately, patiently, again and again forgiving me. And I get to look at the people around me and I, get to, I have an opportunity to be kind and compassionate to them. Forgiving them. Even as they might continue to sin against me. It means as I, I see my own sin, I might go regularly to them and ask for their forgiveness and hope that they simulate their Savior. Because if I've sinned against them, now I've given them an opportunity to show that love of Christ to me as I ask for forgiveness. The gospel has an effect on those who hear it and believe it. It means they share the cross of Christ. Jesus, at one point, told his followers, right, in order to follow him, we must take up our cross and follow him. Now, it doesn't mean that you and I play any role in our salvation. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says that we take up our cross and follow him. But instead, it, it means we look at Jesus' life and we see the trials and the heartaches and the hardships and we understand that that's going to be a regular part of our life. In fact, it's why Jesus would encourage his disciples and followers like you and me and say, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Right? Because as children of God, the devil is going to redouble his efforts against us. Our sinful nature wants nothing more than for us to walk away from our Savior. The world around us is our enemy. Wanting us to give up our Savior and rather instead follow its ways. The cross means that there are going to be times in our life where we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be looked at funny. People are going to, to say things about what we believe. And you and I get to take up our cross. And just as they mocked and ridiculed Jesus, get to take up our cross and follow him. In fact, I, I saw an article this morning talking about a bombing at a church in Los Angeles, of all places. Because of, they, the police think it was because of the church's stance on same-sex marriage. Based on a number of whole big things of graffiti that were also on the side of the church. The world does not love us as Christians. And so we should expect that at times, perhaps often, we're going to have to do the hard work of sharing the cross of Christ. 
But in that cross of Christ, we find comfort, though, too, don't we? Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But the very next words, he says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. It helps us understand the Apostle Paul, right, as he's going through all these different hardships in his life, and he says, this world of trouble and sorrow isn't worth comparing to the glory that will be ours in heaven. That when you and I are able to approach life and the world from the perspective of being able to say, this world is just a simple tent that I get to live in. This world, I am a foreigner here. My home ultimately is with my Savior. And my short 60, 70, maybe 80 years here on earth are going to be nothing compared to the eternity that I have waiting for me in heaven. Oh, it gives me so much better perspective on all the different crosses I might have to bear in life. The final one, disciples get to share in the work of Christ. In essence, that's what he was training his disciples to do those three years, wasn't it? To share in the work of Christ. Right? He gives them this, this enormous promise that, or, and this enormous blessing that they are going to be able to become fishers of people. God was going to use them to proclaim this good news to the rest of the world. It was going to be through those 12 men, <clears throat> or, excuse me, it was going to be through those men that the gospel was initially going to go out into the rest of the world. In fact, it's because of their work. You and I are sitting here today because they told people, and those people told people, all the way to the point where someone came, perhaps it was when you were born and your parents brought you to a font, or later in life someone shared their faith with you, and the Holy Spirit worked through that proclamation of the good news of God and led you to see your Savior. And now he says, you get to share in that work. As he gives to us that, that gospel, that good news of, of forgiveness and a savior from sin, one who takes away our guilt, he puts it in your hands and says, here, here is this powerful message that has the power to give people eternity. And I want you to share it. Can there be any better news that we get to share with people? It's news you and I... I'm guessing treasure. Because you can look at those four points of sharing in the, the cross of Christ and sharing in the work of Christ and simulating our Savior and subordinating our entire life to Christ and very quickly, what are you going to realize? I'm not good at that. I'm not good at any of it. It doesn't take long for me to be able to see all the different instances where I put my own wishes and desires in front of, well, my Savior, the opportunities I miss, not because I wasn't aware of it, but because I was aware of it and just didn't want to talk to somebody, or I was afraid of what they would say. Times where the, the cross of Christ was there and on my shoulder, and instead of picking it up and following my Savior, I tried to toss it aside because I was afraid of the pain it might bring. All those things that should rightly cause guilt in my heart because as a follower of Jesus, I failed. And my Savior comes to me again, and again, 
and again and proclaims to me the message that a Savior came to bring. I forgive you. It's what the Savior came to do, and it's the message the Savior came to bring. I forgive you. You are God's dearly loved child. Man, and for a sinner, there's no greater message to hear, is it? And no greater message to share. Because the Savior didn't just call Andrew and Peter and James and John. He's called you to proclaim the message that showed us that he's the Savior. So be bold. Subordinate your life to the Lord. Simulate your Savior in all that you do. Share in the, the, the cross of Christ and then joyfully share in the work of Christ. Amen. And the peace of God which goes beyond our understanding, will guard and will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.